Hello and good evening to anyone listening at this time. This is Khadija Haliru as always and this my podcast has been rebranded and renamed as well as um, recategorized. So if you're just listening to this, it's December 10th, 2020 and this is my raw truth diary. I just really want to take the time to acknowledge everything that's happened to everyone around the world. And also it took courage for me to sit and reflect, wondering how I was going to manage my mental health through this crisis. And not just the crisis of the pandemic, but a crisis within myself where I find uh, in reevaluating my myself and my efforts and my business, my world, my family, my friends, my business community, I realized that I've become so much for so many people that it's kind of tearing me down. First, there's the question of how people don't even understand um, what you're going through because you have this face of strength, you're superwoman, you're the motivator, you're the encourager, and it tends to Um, carry you into this mythical world where people just think that you can weather um, the storm and you're strong enough to deal with it all. When you turn to family, you get the support and prayers, of course. But when you dig deeper and try to share just a little bit of what you're going through, you realize that they're they're in a place now where they truly don't understand you. Uh, So if you're listening and you don't really understand my story, The reason I'm speaking is because um, I'm a Canadian immigrant from Africa. I've got two worlds and my two worlds are colliding right now. So I'm from a very large family and I've got a strong support system when it comes to my immediate family and even an extended one. And because of who I am, because I've brought all those values to the personality that I carry. I care for more than just me in any community that I find myself. I am an extension of everyone's problem. I am the supporter, I am the motivator, the encourager, and it makes me feel normal and natural because that's what I've done my whole life. At the same time, when you sit back and think, why am I all these things to all these people? Yet when you are down and when you break down and when you are low, Um, a lot of people just miss out on even checking up on you because they think you're always fine. So by profession, I'm a coach. Um, Basically, I'm a professional uh, coach that has gone through certification and I put that as my face forward to help anyone. And I think that built up on my natural skills of being a firstborn from a large family with you know, role models like a dad who was, again, a lot of things to a lot of people. So it's really easy to see how I've turned into this person who almost mirrors what my dad was to a lot of people. And I take a step back because I don't want to be that person who gives so much of themselves and yet has little to give. And I've been conscious of that because, again, I'm living far away from home in this world uh, where I've cultivated my own relationships, my communities, my my life, my friends, my business communities, my support system. 
and so you grow every day and the number of friends and acquaintances and colleagues that you have and share experiences with yet you have this other world that you kind of have to check into to make sure everyone's okay and that you're in you know in sync with what's going on you're updated um checking to make sure everybody has you know a good life and make sure everybody is you know continuously productive and that your parents and your family is okay it's december 10th and i'm acknowledging today that this is just too much for me at this point i have recently moved home um physically exhausted emotionally exhausted mentally exhausted I uh, spent the whole covid trying to rebrand my business, reorganize, you know, the back end stuff, the websites, the accounting, the incorporation, uh trying to set your systems in place and your people in place and then finding a new location and moving shop and moving and setting up and you know, bringing your ideas to life and all the while just fatigue from one thing to another. But I guess the one thing that keeps you going is when you have a dream and you're in the process of accomplishing that dream you find that you cannot stop because that's one thing that keeps you happy that's where your passion lies and so you just really keep going i don't know how many people are like me listening to this but if you find yourself just in this world of non-stop go 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 and even during covid where people took a step back you were even busier I want to hear from you. I want to hear how you've coped and how you've managed to weather the storm because um like I said, most times I want to talk to someone, I really don't have anyone to talk to. Cuz now you've put yourself in a situation uh where you're very free to share, you care so much. Uh people can lean on you, they can reach out to you. You always got that advice for them. So when you're down and, you know, down in your luck or just tired and exhausted you really can't reach out to those same people to be honest with them because they never truly take it for what it is that you are needing a shoulder to lean on so i've come to the end of the road where you know for the last 10 years i've tried to get my family over trying to educate them on how they can make their process um happen and sometimes you get to the point where you just give up because everybody's got their idea of how they think you could make things happen and pretty much not have to do anything at all from their end. Um I'm not judging, I'm not rounding everybody up in the same group, but essentially that's a summary. A summary of a lot of people that you've tried to guide and show their way if they want what you have, but yet think that you could do a bit more than you already do. So, if I've survived almost 15 years of being alone, figuring it out, raising my kids all by myself, uh kind of not really having that support system, moving around North America and still standing tall and strong, I guess to so many people I really don't have a problem. And I guess to so many people um you are lucky. You have it all. So this is kind of where I'm coming from. where I really need to talk and I guess this is the only place I'm going to be able to sit down and talk to myself if no one else is even listening. I really don't care that I you know just can express myself is what's important to me right now. And for so many of you even if you don't have someone to listen to 
or someone to talk to. I guess this is our outlet. And with this, I'm going to come with you, uh, to you with my truth whenever I feel like it. So if you like what you're hearing and you want to follow my story, I'm going to start from the next episode telling you how it all began. episode of Raw Truth Diaries. Today I'm taking a deep breath and uh, if you listen to the first episode where I just lay it out there, my raw truth, um, it it was all about my mental health and um, I just thought, you know, I thought about different things. Sometimes I would sit and think, you know what, there's a book in me, I need to write a book because when you go through stuff, you absolutely cannot express it to a lot of people. You can't explain what you're going through to everyone. Um, I grew up pretty much knowing that I could not be a victim. Because uh, I was first born of 20 kids. And there's all this responsibility that you feel along with that. And So I'm going to just tell you guys how it all started. And I guess by tracing the steps backwards for myself, I in turn can empower myself through my realization and I hope it helps some of you feel the same way. So again this is Khadija Haleru and this is my truth diaries. So first how did it get started? For every one of us our story started somewhere and it takes a while before you realize what's shaped you, what's made you who you are. Uh, For me I've always recognized Um, who I was through the examples of my dad and the reality of my life. So I was born into a family uh, that was quite large. My dad was one of 20 kids himself. And even as a young, you know, teenager, I understood that um, he was not only responsible to his immediate family, but there was this sense that um, he was not only responsible to his family, there was this sense that he was responsible to a lot of people. And so it began, you just watch this man go at it, take care of everyone. Uh, And at sometimes at the cost of his own family, he would always be concerned and prioritize the needs of his siblings, even though they were half siblings and just that, you know, loyalty to his father made him want to just take care of every single one of them. And I think out of the abundance of his heart, he was just a given person. He was someone who just liked to solve problems. And I've taken a lot from him when it comes to being like him. So that's the beginning of my story where, yes, I recognize I was like dad, firstborn of, uh, you know, so many kids. Um, And basically for me same situation and as I saw him continuously have kids um, then my whole life took a different turn because at some point I I remember as a teenager from the ages of 11 onwards was already fatigued caring for young babies you know helping to wash bottles and wash nappies and change the sterilizing unit and basically helped to either feed the kid or just sit and have a kid placed in my arms 
and not just be able to do anything that I wanted to do. So my immediate younger sister is just a year and a half to two years younger than me. Um, I can say she's the only one I really don't have recollections of from when she was a kid. But everyone else, I remember being responsible for something, you know, helping mama out to pick this, pick that, sit here, do this, do that. And it just continued. And I remember being 16, telling my dad, you know what, daddy, enough already. We were about 12 kids at the time. Um, and this is from two women at the time. And I said, daddy, I think you need to stop having kids. And that was my first realization that I was overwhelmed because I had planned this whole vacation that I was going on with my uncle, uh, who had promised he would be there and he would take my sister and I away for this vacation. And all of a sudden I was told I couldn't go because I had to be there for mommy. And that was the first time it hit me that I really didn't have a choice. And I really needed to step up and be there for my mom because this life was not about having fun. It wasn't about doing what you wanted. It was about being responsible and ready and willing to do what it took. Because I remember my reaction. and was like, oh no, I, I can't just keep washing nappies or something. And my uncle said, that is such um, a nasty thing to say. Your mommy needs help going to stay with her and help her and I said okay you know whatever and that's kind of how I was taught to accept responsibility and I had stopped whining from that moment onwards so when you take a look at that today for a kid who's say 8 9 10 11 and they never really had a choice but to keep helping out reaching out for stuff and I mean, in the African culture, the kid who's already, um, you know, old enough to kind of run an errand is very helpful to their parents because they're at the childbearing age where every two years a new baby pops up. There's not really a culture of, um, you know, babysitting, taking your kids out of the home to get help. It's the kids in the home who would support you and probably family who would be coming by once in a while to support you, but your children are expected to just really be there as your support system. And that's kind of where I get my whole sense of responsibility towards my siblings, and it became kind of overwhelming at some point, and I had to suck it up and adjust to that. And so when I take a look at that, whether it was babysitting, at some point in my teenage years, I would help with homework. I was responsible for organizing them to wash clothes and do homework and, you know, even go to bed and be quiet. It just took on a life of its own. And I think at some point I became quite aggressive to my siblings where uh, some of the ones, you know, closely falling up in age with me uh, would say that uh, they felt really scared of me. And unfortunately, uh, they were in boarding school while I was wrapping up high school, uh, as they were all entering high school. At that point, we were about 16 children. And uh, they kind of felt free to go to school and be themselves and be happy. And when they came home, I was that tyrant that would say, no, you need to clean your room. You need to make your bed. You need to sweep up. We've got to do some general cleaning here. 
And so my relationship with my siblings turned out to be something less than favorable. And I understood from my dad's point of view that I was being a bit harsh at some point. He had called me and said, uh, take it easy. With one or two of them I was really mad with at the time. He says, take a deep breath, take it easy. And one of the things you're going to have to learn in life is how to persevere. Patience and perseverance are the most important traits that really love you to learn. Because I love you and I need you to be able to withstand any pressure that you put through. And I remember that conversation very well. And I thought, well, I'm just going to have to learn to be patient and persevere because you keep having kids, Dad. And I remember him saying, yeah, and we're going to hit 20. And you're going to not. And I said, what? He said, yeah, I want to have 20 kids because my dad had 20 kids. And I said, oh, my God. And so, guys, there it was staring me in the face that I wasn't done. My homework was just beginning. And at age 18, I was still having siblings born. So tell me if you're in my shoes and if you have any similar experiences to mine, how you had to deal with this and how you've coped. Uh, because I think I coped really well. I just kind of started to enjoy it and, and, and even celebrate it. And people would be like, wow, when I say my story. And it just made me feel like we were a unique family. Um, I've got stepmoms who had kids that were loved. Uh, but my dad, as equally as he loved my mom's kids, there was no discrimination. He kind of had this wonderful veil over all of us to remember that he was our dad. And so we grew up with this notion that we were all equal and we were all loved so there was really no friction amongst the kids and he was able to provide for us equally and so there was this harmony which made it so easy and actually had us admired by other people so guys this was my foundation this was the beginning and in my next episode I'll kind of tell you how this all blended in as I began to mature into adulthood. If you're with me and this story is sounding so similar to you, connect with me, let's talk, because if you are going through stuff today and you can't tell why you feel the way you feel, it might be connected to you yesterday. And in my next episode, you'll understand exactly what I mean. Stay tuned. So you're sticking with me and you're listening to my story. Welcome to my truth diaries. This is simple raw truth that I realize I need to say out, even if it's me talking to myself. I feel like if anyone who connects or hears me and feels me um, uses my story to feel better, that's good enough for me. And just some of my family or friends or you know family friends who've known me my whole life this is not about you right now this is about me because guess what guys we're from Africa where the moment you start to tell your story you've got this segment of family 
that feel like, yeah, suck it up. That's not only your story. That's our whole story. That's what everybody goes through. And you've got to learn to accept it or deal with it. Well, I've done that my whole life. I was born in the 70s. And today I'm saying, it's not about you anymore. It's about me. So if you're listening and this is one of um, those, uh, if if this is one of the directions your thinking is going, sorry, maybe stop listening to me at this point because I'm going to go on telling you how this foundation has shaped me into who I am today. So you're growing up as a teenager and you're one of 18 kids. Eventually you become 20 kids by the time you're 21. My dad already had 20 kids. So I'm now wrapping up high school and I'm coming home and I'm that firstborn who now feels so responsible. And you know what? When I say 20 kids, it's it might sound confusing to so many of you. It's not like it took 20 years to have 20 kids or these are women simultaneously having kids for my dad, right? So we've got sets of twins and sets of triplets kind of happening in the same year. And that's kind of how it happened that within four years, we, we actually got four more kids. So really, I'm kind of saying to myself, so how does this work? gonna graduate I'm gonna go home I'm gonna have a three-month vacation and I'm gonna be back in college if only I'm able to focus and get the best grades so that I do not have a gap year because again the pressures from my country is that there is a challenge in graduating high school and getting into the university and there's this pressure about being the firstborn who has to set that example So even in my choice of career, guys, I had to ask myself the raw truth. What am I willing to do to put my 110% to make sure that I excel? I remember wanting to be a veterinary doctor in, you know, in the seventh and eighth grade. And all of a sudden, I'm choosing my courses and I'm told that I had to do physics. I absolutely was not into physics. I was okay with biology. It was my favorite subject, and I loved elements of chemistry. Maybe not a fan of it either, but I was willing to do that because they kind of connected, right? And all of a sudden, I'm being told that I had to do physics, and I'm so scared because my best friend at the time, his sister, had been um, through this whole advanced level physics, and she had scared the living daylights out of us. She's like, whatever you do, don't take physics. So she was going into pharmacy school and she absolutely hated physics. And so here I am with the first kind of big sister um, role model I had telling me not to do physics. And so my whole decision was now based on if physics is going to be so hard for me, I'm not willing to take a bet on it because I have a bigger responsibility to make sure I get an A in it. So if anything is going to make it extra hard for me, I'm not going to do it. So because of that pressure, because of my responsible uh, feelings towards my other siblings wanting to have a strong foundation and show them a good example, I decided I was not going to read veterinary medicine. Instead, I was going to read law so that I actually could move on from doing um, the three sciences, which is the physics, chemistry, and biology 
because I was told I couldn't get away with just doing biology and chemistry, to making a decision based on what I thought I would be passionate about. So at the time I was passionate about literature and history and I thought, okay, so I love these two subjects and if I did that instead and added government to it, then figure out what I could do within that sphere, I stood a better chance of making sure I could ace my high levels, uh, my my O levels, which is what we're calling them in Africa, um, to graduate high school and with distinction. And that's exactly what I did. So I decided I was going to read law. But while I took my government class, I fell in love with, you know, government and administration. And so by the time I graduated, I was so confident I wanted to be a public administrator. And that's what I had applied to three universities for. First, second, third choice, no options at all. And I got into my first choice. And that made me really happy. Now this fortunately for me became a passion before I chose it, but just learn how my sense of responsibility has had to, you know, influence my decisions, thinking of others and what they expected of me and how they expected me to perform and how I didn't want to be that example that they would look at and say, Hey, she didn't do good enough. So I don't have to, that was huge weight on my shoulders. And so guys, that alone helped me feel confident in the examples I was setting. When I finally got into the university, I felt, okay, now I've just got to get through this and make sure that the next steps in my life are all good. So this is me modeling the best behavior because again, I've grown up with so many aunts and uncles and I've watched them make mistakes and the ones who listened and the ones that didn't listen. I pretty much grew up watching others and learning from their mistakes. So I was almost this perfect child who was just navigating the world, trying to avoid making the bad mistakes. And my dad filled with so much wisdom being the one person that I saw uh, was willing to help support people and give advice and, and you know solve their problems. I, I just became this well-rounded child. In my opinion, um, I thought this was my freedom now. So university, I was going to explore. I started to pray, you know, that God, I would love to find my Prince Charming before I graduated um, university so that as soon as I was done, I wouldn't have to go back home and have to be Honestly, so sad for me to say it, I wasn't looking forward to going back home to babysit no one. So stay tuned for my next episode and I hope you'll continue listening. And there you go again. Yeah, so... One of the big, biggest pet peeves I think I've come to to realize is that when you are on your own journey and you have your own challenges and your own story, you really don't have anyone to talk to because everybody thinks their own journeys and their own challenges are even greater than yours. Are you one of those immigrants who's actually left um, your home country uh, in pursuit of maybe some extra education or just maybe a better life for your family and all of a sudden when you have your own challenges, when you've got your own stresses, when you are down and you are out, exhausted, 
you just don't have anyone to talk to because when you start to speak, they become overwhelmed with even your complaints because the perception is that you are better off than them. You are better off than them, no matter the circumstances. These are people who actually have choices to be productive with the little that they get. They actually have no um, understanding of what you've got to do to make what you make. They realize um, that, yeah, their circumstances are bad. You've got everything basic uh, provided for you. So you are in no position to talk. You are in no position to complain. This is why when you're in my situation, for example, I might be going through the worst day and I still can't talk to my mom or I can't talk to any of my siblings because the moment I start to unleash or just say lay down what's bothering me, I hear, you know what, everybody's going through stuff, everybody's going through stuff, at least you're lucky you're here, you're lucky you have this, you're lucky that's happening, you're lucky that. That is the most frustrating thing that I hear when I try to reach out to family and have a shoulder to cry on. So because I do not have that, I tend to bottle up a lot and I tend to be my own strength and my own support system. And then because you're that, people see you as strong, people see you as capable and um, that you, are, you inspire others. So when you now find yourself in this situation, you don't wanna be the same person to, to you know, burst that bubble. You don't wanna now unleash on them because they find strength in you. And this is why for a lot of strong people across the world, we do find time to break down and we manage even our breakdowns on our own terms. For me, my coping mechanism is I just shut, you know, the chatter up. I will not express what's bothering me and instead maybe just try to deal with it. Um, I may just take a break from talking to you for a few days just so that I can go through my stuff on my own and there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Um, but sometimes in your privacy, in your little breakdown time where you need time for yourself, I find that in my situation, I even have to take permission. I have to kind of inform my siblings or family that, you know, I'm going to be quite busy for the next couple of days, or I'm going to be doing this, or I'm going to be off limits for a little while. Just because you don't want them to go days or even a week without hearing from you and start to worry about you. It's just a very bizarre place to be where I need help, I need time to myself, I need some self-care, but I've got to consider other people. And then when you are in that situation and you're in that space, sometimes you get interrupted. You actually get the call or you get that ask and then you kind of are obligated to answer or sometimes pretend to have a nice conversation and hang up and just face back your music. And then you're trying to be a motivation to others, but they are instead just looking at you as lucky. So even when you have to give, it is, it is the most painful thing for me to try to share or care by maybe helping and supporting somebody and just having that person think that this money is gonna come again and again and again without even thinking of investing it. Little things that we can do 
you know, in Africa, for example, where just a little stipend can actually spark a reality of a business, you know, I don't care if it's taking it and buying flour and starting something. If people just understood the extent to which you go to make money, I think they would value it more. But instead, they make you feel like, no, 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 I shouldn't be doing that. I can't be doing that. Oh, you can't make your mom be doing that. Oh, you can't be expecting mommy to do this. Mommy is tired. Mommy is this. Mommy is that. And in fact, what I'm trying to do is to spur creativity and a sense of purpose. Because when you have an aging parent, you don't want them idle. The stress builds up better, faster. You don't want them waiting and wanting. You want them in the process of accomplishing something. It makes you happy. It creates happiness in people when there's something being done. But everybody sits down and complains and wonders why things aren't going well when nobody wants to be productive. And you guys, if you're in this situation and so many African immigrants across the world are, where there's always that element of you're better off, so you need to find a solution to these problems. Luckily for me, my individual family situation is different. Everybody's independent. Nobody's really leaning on you or expecting from you. But when you see want and you see need, you want to respond. You're forced to, 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 you know, to figure it out. It's just so sad that when you're also wanting and you're going through your own crap and you can't solve other people's problems, then the conflicts arise. Then you can't even share your frustration because guess what? I'm in a bit. I'm in a worse situation than you, so you don't have a right to complain. I can't even have a wrong face when I call my mom or my sisters because their first impression is, what's wrong with you? Can you guys imagine how it feels that I have to pick and choose when to talk to my mom or find some shoulder to lean on in my siblings? The thing is, It ends up being an argument so many times when I call for love and support that I just don't feel like calling sometimes. But our family is so strong and faithful that you just overcome every day and the next thing I'm back again wanting to just feel some love. And this becomes a vicious cycle, which I honestly think after 2020, I am so breaking. I'm getting rid of this cycle. I do not need to explain myself. I do not need to... I do not need to express myself anymore because they just won't get it. And even though I've lived in Africa, even though I was married and I had kids and I understood the expensive uh, nature of having a standard of living that, you know, requires some certain effort, people just almost forget that I ever lived there. I don't understand what it's like. My husband goes from a business there so many times. People see it as if the money is being made 10 times than it even is. We are doing whatever it takes to survive. And people just don't get it because the facade, you know, you're trying to sell. So you market more and the marketing creates this impression that you're making all the money and the millions are flowing. And so it's just sad that the people who love you the most are the last to believe you and understand you. Uh, when you're in a so, so separate location, totally different values, totally different cultures, totally different um, expectations, 
and the only thing they know how to do is to compare their situation with yours. That's the depth of this conversation every single time. It's sickening, it's irritating, it's tiring, and I just had it. And this again, my raw truth for this episode, I hope makes me really, really feel better about this because I just think this is it. I'm done. Done explaining, done talking, done listening, and guess what? The only thing I'm moving forward with is hopefully having my mom be me, be with me soon and be selfish to have her to myself because for the first time in my life, I want to spend time with my mom and nobody can stop me. And that's it. Stay tuned for more if you like what I'm saying. Sometimes we've got to empower ourselves and talk to that inner voice that says, no, 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 you are more than enough. You don't have to explain yourself to no one. You do not have to get out of your, your own way to make anyone happy. Um, you can only be there for them when you're strong enough. So guess what? Go focus on being strong enough. So then you can even throw the money at the problem and not even look back. And that's where my head is at right now. Thanks for listening. It's Khadija Halliri again with my Raw Truth Diary.